Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Retired NASA astronaut Katie Coleman is among very few people who have lived in space. But during a visit to St. Louis last month, she came across as equally excited about life on Earth, especially because of her interactions with some accomplished high school students. Our producer, Evie Hemphill, sat down with Coleman shortly before the scientist was scheduled to give the keynote address at a Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri event honoring local scouts Molly Fry and Lily Orsco. Evie started by asking Coleman, who was herself a former Girl Scout, if there was a particular moment when she knew she wanted to be an astronaut. For me, when I thought about what I wanted to do, I mean, it's always kind of a sort of on-paper smart kid, which is lucky to be able to be that way, I think. And so I felt like I could pick. Um, And at the same time, it never, ever occurred to me to be an astronaut until I was in college. And Sally Ride, Dr. Sally Ride, the first American woman astronaut, came and talked. And meeting her, I mean, I shook her hand. We've talked about it since. You know, she doesn't remember, but I do. And just seeing that she was someone who was really well-educated and at the same time had some adventure in her life. And I, it just, just the fact that she looked so real made me think, well, maybe I could try to do that job. Well, you just met with a couple of rising stars yourself, from what I hear. What was it like to talk with these two Girl Scouts who are doing big things in their community right here in St. Louis? It's really uplifting. It, it reminds me that things are working, even though we have a lot of work to do. It reminds me when you see girls like this that are so accomplished and, you know, and doing interesting things, having ideas that I would never have had. I mean, they're, they're, because they are the age they are, they live in the communities they live in, they have unique ideas and, they, and unique solutions that they bring and they sort of bring courageously. And so it's very encouraging. In some ways, I, I think of tonight as um, celebrating them, but also celebrating everyone that they will touch. It's just so exciting. Well, you've led quite a remarkable life, and I hear you've spent approximately 4,330 hours in space. You've described it as a magical experience. Can you talk a little bit about that magic and also maybe a couple of the biggest surprises or challenges you encountered? In terms of magic, the most of the magic has to do with the flying. The fact that it's not just floating around in space. If you want to get somewhere inside the space station, you have to fly there. It's funny, it connects me back actually to these, you know, Girl Scout and teenage experiences where, you know, I was just not the most coordinated person. And I went to space and I was. (laughs) And I really loved, you know, with the touch of a finger, you know, getting to fly all the way across the space station. And I think what I loved about it, I mean, there's a physical sensation, but it's also that it it's it's like proof that you are, you know, at the edge, that you are like a colonist. You're one of the few learning to live in a brand new world where all the rules are different. And I think of space as a place that's always been ours. We just hadn't been there yet. I happened to watch a video of you online playing the flute on the International Space Station back in 2011 on St. Patrick's Day and wondered about some of the other things that filled your less focused time, I guess I would say, aboard the space station. Well, we work we work actually pretty hard up there. Um, and I mean, I, I know you weren't implying that we didn't, um, but... 
you know, from seven to seven, certainly we're working really hard, but really kind of from seven until 10 at night or 11. And, and so you save up the things that you want to do that are just for you. And a really successful day for me meant, you know, doing everything on the timeline, but talking to my family, I, I did that uh, probably every day except three out of 159 days. And that was really important to me. Um, my son was 10. And uh, it, it's not really just the six months in space, which is a magical time, but I'd spent a couple years preparing. And during that time, you're flying around the world, training in all these different countries. And, and it's a lot of real life. It's really actually pretty hard. Um, and at the same time, uh, you want to be in touch. And as a family, we found some alternative ways to do that. And so I would read to my son at night. And it gave, it gave us kind of a way to be together without having to go, well, how was your day? How was your day? I mean, that only goes so far when you're 10. But I would say, well, you know, I thought I would read a little book, and a little bit of this book. And there's a series called uh, Peter, uh, Peter and the Starcatchers that's written by a guy named Ridley Pearson and Dave Barry, who's a humor columnist. And it's about the days of Peter Pan before he became Peter Pan. And it has magic and stardust and sword fighting and smart girls and smart boys and it was just a really really special thing to read together while I was up there. I imagine that must have been really difficult to be away from your family for six months. It, it, it really it is it is really hard and um, you know I've done that for a long time and at the same time worked hard to be, you know, to find alternative ways to, to be together. Um, and, and our son thought it was really normal to have two houses and two places to live and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard that people don't actually tend to say what you said to me. They don't always say it to the guy astronauts, which actually for them, I mean, they miss their families so much as well. And, and they're the folks that... Um, that taught me, as guy astronauts, that taught me how to be a family with my family when I was far away, how to do homework via Skype, even algebra, <laughs> and things like that. And, and so I think it, it's hard for everybody, and yet it, it's about the mission. I, I thought long and hard before I agreed to go to the space station because it was basically a five-year commitment. And, you know, in the end, as a family, we decided that this is really who Jamie's mom was and that I had been trained and, and had a lot of training invested in me and and this was my way of giving back and we just uh, I don't know I think it turned out okay. I think I tend to assume that the observations that are happening in space are very outwardly focused like observing stars and black holes and things like that but you're doing a lot of other experiments too that really shed light on life on earth right? That's totally true and I'm glad you see that it may not be fair, but um, basically there's something very compelling about space. And, and it makes it so that um, people go, oh, if we need that for space, well, we'd better make it. We'd better make that computer smaller or design that Velcro or, you know, those kinds of things. But so technology happens often. It gets accelerated when there's a mission that people can really latch onto. And the same goes for experiments. And we do experiments up there that we can't do on the ground. Things like... Um, combustion 
you know, how, how things burn differently because those lighter gases, like a candle flame that's sort of long and tall on the earth, is actually round up in space. So the lighter gases aren't rising and the new fuel isn't rushing in. And that's a really unearth dynamic, hard to measure process. And because we have to make measurements on the earth like in less than a second, but up in space we make the same measurements over 30 or 40 seconds. So we can get so much more data and we get to understand combustion in space, but we also get to understand, you know, how is pollution formed? How can we burn things more efficiently? And so to me, it's really pretty wonderful that the lessons we're learning for exploration come right back down here to Earth for sustainability. And did you also do experiments on yourself while you were up there, kind of looking at the impact of being in space on the human body? Not to pry. Oh, it's not prying, actually. <laughs> I was really proud of being part of really a lot of medical experiments over my career. One of the ones that's easiest to, to be proud of, actually, is the osteoporosis experiments, where up in space, we lose bone about 10 times faster than a woman who has osteoporosis, and, um, and so basically who's 70 years old. And so what she loses in a whole year in terms of bone I lose in a month in space. It's very fast. That's the bad news. The good news is because it's fast, it's easier to measure. And I, astronauts tend to have cleaner medical histories than people who are 70 years old. We're taking less medications, all those kinds of things. And so we can really understand and isolate some of the things that are going on. So I myself took an osteoporosis drug that's pretty routine down here, but experimental for space, to understand how can we stop that bone loss. And is it that we're losing bone? Is it that we're not growing bone? And where is it in that cycle that it's affecting people? And those lessons come right back down here to Earth. And, and so I was really pleased to be a part of those things. Even um, the other thing that's pretty interesting, I think, is um, our hearts behave differently up there. They almost get like a little older. I mean, that's my layperson way of explaining it because up in space, my heart is still pumping blood from my feet up to my head. But without gravity to contend with, it's a lot easier. So my heart muscle actually can get smaller and doesn't have to work as hard. So what does that mean? And so that we, we get to measure those things. And I did all sorts of experiments where, you know, VO2 max things. I tell people I've, I'll never be a, an Olympic athlete, but I got to do all of the tests, which was very cool. Um, I'm curious about how you grappled with the inherent dangers of being an astronaut during your NASA career. Um, we think of tragedies like the Challenger explosion in 1986 and then the Columbia shuttle can you tell me a little bit about your perspective on, on the risks involved? To me, it's all about the mission. It's not that we belittle the risks. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a relief to get home. And, and I think in the earlier days of the program, that wasn't something that was, you know, more assured. You know, it's, it's, um, but it's, it's definitely a dangerous business. And at the same time, I think the mission is just a part of us as humans. And I was so, you know, happy and, and felt so um, privileged to be selected as an astronaut. And I also think that I bring some skills that are, that are really important. And I think actually some that are stereotypical female, really. And that's one of the reasons why I 
I really um, enjoy seeing, you know, these girls grow up in the, in the Girl Scouts and celebrate their strengths, which, you know, within an all sort of all-female organization can be a little more celebrated. You know, the, the strengths of empathy, of consensus, of, you know, on my crew, I was the person that could kind of look around and understand how everybody was doing. And that's really so important. And at the same time, you know, there's, there's skill in saying, we're going this way and we're going now. It's very decisive. It's not necessarily my kind of leadership. And at the same time, you know, I think it's great to be able to value your, your skills that you bring as a leader. Um, you've spoken about the value of science fiction and storytelling, and you actually share a name with one of the African-American female mathematicians celebrated in the film Hidden Figures, Katherine Coleman Johnson. I do. Can you talk a little bit about how you see stories and films like Hidden Figures having an influence on the future of your field? I think that stories and storytelling, you know, through, whether it's through narrative or art or, you know, a movie or um, pictures, you know, basically we can create the, the world that we would like to exist. And for example, you know, in terms of like, let's say women in, in Congress, you know, we're going to have the same number of women and men in Congress eventually, and if we continue at the rate we are, it, it'll only be about 500 years, I think, right? It's, which is, I mean, I'm not willing to wait for that. But, I mean, you can create a, a, a TV show or a movie that lets girls and boys that are nine years old think that it's normal to be somebody that really tries to, to take care of your community and use your voice to help do that. So, I, what I like to tell people is that, you know, the artists and the storytellers, I mean, they, they help us with the vision. I mean, if you have a mission, if you, do, if you can't, if people don't understand what the mission is by, by, you know, you having vision or you hiring people or bringing people on that can create that vision, then you're not going to actually be able to recruit the team to really accomplish the mission. And I think that art does that for us. And that's why I'm a big fan of STEAM as well as STEM. You know, it's got to be a buzzword, but it's science, technology, engineering, math. Um, and then STEAM is an A in the middle there for art. And it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I, I'm somebody that wants to see a diagram, you know, or wants to see a picture. Or um, ironically, I'm married to a glass artist who a dozen years before we ever, ever met was well known for making glass planets. And, you know, there's something... You know, when you want to be an astronaut, it's kind of like in, in your, 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 you know, out of college and wishing to do this and people ask what you want to be, saying that you'd like to be an astronaut. It's kind of like saying you'd like to be a fireman or maybe, you know, I mean, nothing, there's anything wrong with that, right? But, it, you know, it, but it's a real thing. And actually what I think is interesting is that it's practically normal to these kids to think that they could do these jobs. But I will say it's not normal enough. And that's why it's so important to celebrate uh, the girls tonight who've done such intricate and really interesting projects that only they could come up with. And I, I think, I think we're, we're moving along, and at the same time, there's a lot of work to do. What gives you the greatest hope these days about the future? And are there things that give you pause as well? For me, the greatest hope is always people. You know, when, I mean, I certainly look at my own son, you know, on his way to college. I look at these girls who are being celebrated tonight. The, I get to interact with young people, you know, that are 
in the sort of 15 to 18 years old um, a lot and seeing that they're so much a part of the future, that they're embracing the future. Um, that really gives me so much hope. Um, the fact that there's people that are older and maybe slightly wiser um, than they are <laughs> that know that we need to, that, that that future, their future is not assured and that we need to help pave the way and doing whatever we can do to make a difference uh, to do that. And I'd say the thing that it makes that precarious, I won't say not hopeful, but precarious, is that, um, you know, because there's so much information out there, it's, and, and all of us only have so much time and we sort of grab at the explanation that makes sense to us. And we don't always have time to see the whole picture. And, and we don't always have the data we need to make uh, decisions about, you know, about our healthcare, about climate change, about, about our lives, our communities. It's really hard to know the right answer and to have enough data to make that decision. And so I think that limitation makes things more precarious than, than I would like. That's the sound of former NASA astronaut Katie Coleman playing a flute aboard the International Space Station on St. Patrick's Day in 2011. She spoke last month with producer Evie Hemphill while in town for an event with the Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri. The scientist helped celebrate two outstanding Missouri Girl Scouts, Molly Fry, a 17-year-old student at Visitation Academy, and Lily Orsco, a 16-year-old Kirksville High School student. Fry and Orsco received $5,000 scholarships after completing projects that created positive changes in their communities. We talked with the two teens shortly after they met Katie Coleman, and Fry began by describing her project, which aims to inspire young children in STEM fields. I actually constructed and designed tinker boxes, and so they're boxes full of STEM curriculum to go to second, third, and fourth grade students. Um, I found that while STEM was available in high school, it was really hard to get access to in grade school, and so I thought by exposing the children early, they would gain a better interest for it, and that would kind of help drive our future forward as STEM is the future for our society as of right now with all the new technologies and things like that. And so I started testing and doing camps, uh, things like that with some of my siblings' friends. And so I would test each activity and see how fun they were and if they got anything out of them. And then I put them all into this box full of instant challenges and engineering activities. The project that fellow Girl Scout Orsco came up with took a whole different tact. She planted a total of 25 garden and herb boxes and donated them as a way to address food scarcity. The poverty level is over 30% in Kirksville. Missouri and um, a lot of the people that I know in the public schools don't have access to fresh and nutritious foods so I wanted to be able to donate my gardens as a way for people to have a sustainable food source that they could keep at their homes and be able to create meals that would were not only nutritious but also delicious. Orsco said she was delighted by the positive response. A lot of the families were really excited to be able to finally have something that they could grow on their own and just harvest and make into something just absolutely amazing that they'd never heard of. I've, I had a few families respond to me after the project, after sending out surveys, saying that they were able to make things that they have never made before and that they were so excited to have had a new experience with that. Orsco and Fry said they are energized and excited after meeting Katie Coleman.
Here's Molly Fry. Oftentimes, when you think of people that you look up to, it seems so unrealistic. But she's such a down-to-earth and amazing person. Um, And hearing her talk about her story of, oh, it wasn't a click in her head. It happened over time. Like, that was so real and something that I could see myself going through. Um, So it was very inspiring. That's local Girl Scout Molly Fry, who, along with Lily Orsco, was honored last month by the Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri for a Gold Award project. Both teens say they're thinking about pursuing careers in engineering. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.